1: Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy.
0: Oh, that's old fashioned.
2: Watch how Busy Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where
1: we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
2: On today's show, we take your questions on the use of doctor as a title and formal invitations, appropriate neighborhood gossip, COVID and weddings and kids, and a Jack and Jill you purchase tickets to.
1: For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about sharing emergencies with your family.
2: Plus your most excellent feedback, Etiquette Salute, and a postscript that's a continuation of our interview with Etiquette author Donald James.
1: All that's coming up.
2: Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute.
1: I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm
2: Dan Post Senning. Because I got to tell you, I feel like such a dork. I'm really excited.
1: Oh, I know Football season's about to start. I was going to say, football season is starting this week. Yeah.
2: (laughs) It's just like a hint of normal. I, no, I just feel like th- there's a routine, a fantasy football routine that's been part of my life for almost 20 years now, and to have some version of that normalcy happening again, just it, it, it feels like a lifeline to me at the moment. I'm really enjoying it.
1: I, f- I feel you on that. I'm actually going to go to the to the Patriots Saints game on the 26th, so I'm, I'm oh very excited. I'm so jealous. I know. Like talk about normalcy, crowds, stadium. It, football live I can't wait cheering booing I know caravanning I know it's I'm, I'm really looking forward I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty certain it was mentioned that we have like I mean they're not like on the field tickets but it, it's something like a, a front row type situation so I'm I'm very excited first trip to Gillette Stadium first tri- yes I believe so I don't think the other team I saw play was in Gillette so yeah I think so but that'll be fun
2: Still jealous.
1: <laughs> well
2: you had a bit of a return to normal this last weekend.
1: I do you wanna share just a yeah, bit. Yeah, I do because it's also in some ways can act as a salute. Um, I got to go to a Labor Day weekend getaway, uh, at my, like one of my favorite places in the world, Martha's Vineyard, uh, family friends that, that I grew up with down there. Um, their youngest daughter, I was same age as their middle son, uh, but their youngest daughter invited me and, uh, a bunch of her other friends to come down and we stayed at both her parents' house who lived down there all year round. So the the parents were there and I'm I'm very close with them. So it was like extra bonus to get to see them. And then her sister's house was available. And so half the crew stayed at the sister's house and half the crew stayed here uh, uh, with the parents. And it was Incredible. None of us had met each other before. We were all friends with Margot, that was our hostess. And Intriguing. I feel like it was a love fest. Like everybody fell in love with everybody. Like we were all telling Margot how much we loved all the other people on the trip and how everyone was so incredible and that this was like the best Friends Weekend getaway anyone had been on. We did, Dan, we did so many things you're going to love. We went to a big, big dinner out in town the first night, which was really dress fun. Dinner. Dress up dinner. I did. I did. I did my hair and makeup and I wore some fancy pants um and a, and a dress top and we, we all went out and we did actually, one of the things that was pretty cool about this was that this wasn't just an adults getaway. We had two kids. One of the gentlemen on the trip had two kids with us and they were so fun and so well behaved, it was like you wouldn't want to do this weekend again without them. You know what I mean? Which I think is pretty incredible when you think about. Ad- adults usually want to have like an adults' weekend, <laughs> and having them there was incredible. But they came out to the big fancy dinner, and then the next day we had a beach club day. So Chappy Beach Club, uh, where they filmed a lot of Jaws, but we got to go to go to the beach club for the day, and we built sand castles and swam in the water. And then we did a big low country boil that night and we put lobsters and potatoes and clams and sausages and um, sorry, Sunny's shaking in the background. What else was in there? I said potatoes. Oh, corn all into a big pot mm-hmm. and let it cook away. And then we laid out newspaper down on the outdoor table, dumped the whole thing on the table. Everybody was just dive in, eat whatever you want it was incredible i you know that that is like one of my favorite ways to eat like all all hands all mess like let's just let's just enjoy it
2: lots of seafood lots
1: of seafood it was so good um i oh my gosh the lobster tails came out so like the the, the, there were a couple a couple claws weren't quite cooked but like the lobster tails were all outstanding it was oh it was just so delicious And then the next day, we went out to my beach out at at our farm on the vineyard, and it was – Glorious. We had this big, we we went to a general store and bought like wiffle ball and bat and a uh, football and frisbees and a bunch of sandcastle making stuff. So there were more sandcastles. There were multiple rounds of wiffle ball that we are all still talking about in our group chat right now. It was just a blast. We all went swimming. It was even though it was like kind of a cloudy day at the beach, it was still just an epic beach day. And then we followed it up I believe that night now I'm starting to get my days confused by Tim the the father of the of the family of the household has a you know projector and an outdoor theater screen and so we we called it Norton Street All Season Theater and we watched Jaws all together and did kind of like a a pizza and wings night and then the next day a lot it was Monday and a lot of people were headed home so those that stayed just kind of did like some Mexican takeout for dinner and had like a, a chill Evening, but it was, it was such a perfect. Weekend. It was like, it was such a perfect weekend because it was so many points of etiquette to be had. Every single person there offered to do things like help pay for the food. We had a Venmo moment where one person paid the bill at the restaurant and then I don't have Venmo, but other, ever, like classic. a lot of other people did. I know, right? A lot of other people did. So, you know, I made sure to get cash at the ATM the next morning and gave it to the person who had paid everything. And um, a lot of people did, you know, did their Venmo. And wrote cheeky, jokey things as to what they were Venmoing people back
2: for. Um, Who was in charge of the schedule? How so, did the host guest get to work in terms of here yeah, making decisions? It's
1: a great, great thing. Margot, our, our hostess, like ultimate hostess, was really in charge of the schedule, but she was wonderfully flexible. There were a number of things that we proposed that we didn't do. There was like a, their family's part of the yacht club, and there's this sailing race where um I can't remember. I think the theme if the the uh, the theme is to dress your boat like a movie and their boat was pink. So we were thinking things like legally blonde, pretty in pink, you know, all these different movies that we might be able to do, but we just ended up not going to that. So there was like a flexibility around things, but for the most part, everyone would kind of hear an idea and, and cheer for it. Basically <laughs> it was like, Oh, low country boil. That sounds delicious for dinner. Oh, day out at Bahagana. Yeah. We'd all love a day out at the farm beach, you know? And so, So it was really fun. It it was flexible. It felt like there were always options, and you never had to commit to anything. Like I mean, just talk about an A plus hostess, and that's that's what I told my parents. I was like, "Man, Margot really brought together the most amazing guest list." Along with it, we, it was, it was such a good, I'm going to take care of you, but let you do your own thing too. And I've got to say her parents are just like that. I really think she learned it from watching her parents and just from this is who she is. Her mom, for instance, I was one of the people who stayed Monday night. And her mom knew that she was going out to dinner, and I was still staying at her house, so she had had made some offers to arrange things for me to do for dinner if I didn't want to just be on my own or if I didn't already have plans with the the other couple of people who stayed monday night too and that was really wonderful it it's you could just see left, right, and center how easily these folks handle hosting and taking care of people and making them feel welcomed. Everyone was offered rides to and from the airport or the ferry. I I was blown away at the generosity of how can we help make your comings and goings for this trip so easy? It was really, I mean, I I can't describe it other than like a plus hosting on all fronts and a plus guesting too. Like I said, people were offering to clean up. They were offering to pitch in. They were, you know, Tossing each other money whenever they could because they knew someone else had bought them something. It was going with the flow, too. You know, when the whole group says, let's go to the beach. If, you know, if someone didn't want to, they could have easily said, we'll hang back. But instead, everyone came. It was just really, really an A-plus weekend. Will definitely go down in my memory. (laughs)
2: I definitely feel like your host gets an early in the show etiquette salute.
1: Oh, yes, yes. No, Mar- Margot Putnam-Delaney and her parents, Tim Delaney and uh, and Kate Putnam, both, or all three, excuse me, get just huge kudos as, as amazing, excellent hosts. They always have been, and it was great to be in a weekend where it really, like, it was just shining left, right, and center.
2: Well, you came back like a kid who just went to summer camp and had I the did. best time ever and I has did. decided they never want to not be there ever again
1: no it's really true I like um, one of the one of the women on the trip Malin she and I became like instant best buds like we just she said I took one look at you and was like I'm gonna like this girl and I was like oh my god as soon as I got in the car I was like oh she's really cool awesome you know it was like everyone was saying things like that about each other and you really did come away feeling like you had like you know 10 new best friends um, and I, frankly, I I need that. I'm, I'm very al- alone, as you know, up in the, up in this corner of the world. And even though I've got my family and stuff, the socializing with peers, people my age, it's, it's a little bit harder. Things have still been really quiet on that front here in Vermont. And, uh, as we were headed into fall and winter, as you know, August hit and I was starting to feel down, like, oh my gosh, the chance to socialize is ending soon as we all hunker down and hibernate. And, This just made me feel like, nah, there's life and living out there. There's a big old world.
2: (laughs) It's going to be just fine.
1: Anyway, it was absolutely, like I said, A-plus weekend, and I couldn't be more grateful. I'm really hoping this crew all gets together again.
2: I'm so glad that you did decide to come back, Lizzie Post, because (laughs) the work goes on at Emily Post.
1: I do. I have to come away from vacation at some point, don't I?
2: (laughs) i I won't make too big a deal of it but we do have some questions to get
1: to we do let's do it let's do it awesome etiquette is here to answer your questions you can email them to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND that's 802-858-5463 or reach us on social media On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. Our
2: first question is about traditional invitations. Hello, doing outer and inner envelopes for my very formal encore wedding invitations. Hashtag COVID bride. <laughs> the following guest outranks her husband for the outer envelope. Dr. Christina Suzanne New and Mr. Chandler David New. Is this correct? Do you write out her full name even though she took her husband's name? For the inner envelope, Dr. New and Mr. New. Is this correct? Or would it be Dr. and Mr. New? Thank you,
1: Cameron Gore. Dan, you know we love a good technical question. It it always forces us to look into the books. (laughs) I feel like when I look at this and I see that outer envelope listed Dr. Christina Suzanne New and Mr. Chandler David New, that looks correct to me. If you're choosing to use middle names, the the adjustment I personally would probably make to it would be to remove the middle names and have it be Dr. Christina New and Mr. Chandler New. But you do list her name first and you list her name in full in connection with her last name, whether it is the same as her husband's or not. And that's, that's sort of been so far the tradition uh, with doctors. When it comes to the inner envelope... This is where I, I start to get a little bit more – like, I often think of this as a more casual space. For instance, on my sister's formal invitations, uh, the outer envelope read Mrs. Patricia – uh, C. Colby, my grandmother's name, full name. And then the inner envelope read Granny Pat. So it's often a place where you would get more familiar. One of the things that I think would be really helpful in this particular case is to just double check that Christina Suzanne New actually uses doctor as a so- social title. I think that's a that's a really nice courtesy to give to doctors is to ask them whether they want to use their title socially. And that might also help you distinguish whether or not you would go a little more casual on that inner envelope or not.
2: I'm curious about the the, the difference between Dr. New and Mr. New and Dr. and Mr. New. My instinct would be to keep the, the titles separate and to use them each with a last name, not to combine them, Dr. and Mr. New. But w- yeah. w- w- what is your thought on that, Lizzie?
1: I agree with you. And I regret that I, I don't have a hard and fast rule or reason for it other than I think it's just more commonly done this way. But I'm, I'm with you. I would rather see that inner envelope be reflected either the same as the outer envelope, so Dr. Christina New and Mr. Chandler New, or the inner envelope might read the New... Now, this is where this last name example gets a little tough. The inner envelope might read the News, the N-E-W-S, meaning this is the couple. Um, If children were invited, the News family would be another way to do that. But I am with you. I'd probably not go on the inner envelope either Dr. New and Mr. New Or Dr. And Mr. New.
2: So for you, it's more about whether or not you even use titles than how you're going to order them or, or whether each title gets its own last name.
1: Right. And I will say that typically when you've got a hetero couple and the woman is a doctor, you tend to really try to separate her out. And so the, the doing the Doctor and Mr. New to me doesn't seem like the right – it doesn't instinctually feel like the right way to go. If you were going to do this version that's been suggested for the inner envelope of only the last name and the title, I, I would lean towards the Doctor New and Mr. New. But I personally wouldn't even do that. I would say, you know, Christina and Chandler or the news, as we said before. I would try to find some way to make it a little bit more familiar on the inner envelope makes sense to me. (laughs) So glad. So glad. Cameron, thank you so much for the question. And congratulations on your wedding. We hope that even as a COVID bride, it is an amazing, smashing success.
2: Everywhere you go, your manners are with you and they leave their mark. They help you feel sure of yourself too. And they make an impression on people, on everyone you meet. Our next question is intriguingly titled good gossip versus
1: gossip. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have a wonderful next door neighbor, Ms. Eleanor. She has unfortunately had some health problems in recent years. Her adult sons who live out of state regularly alert me if she has been hospitalized so that I can visit her during one of her hospitalizations. Another neighbor caught me while I was walking the dog and asked about Ms. Eleanor. I tried to give a vague answer, but he point-blank asked me if she was in the hospital. I was caught off guard by the direct question and replied in the affirmative. Afterwards, I felt regret for doing so. This is someone else's personal health information, which they may or may not want disclosed. I resolved to do better. It happened again this week. While I initially gave general answers, in the end, he pinned me down with another direct question – Clearly, I need a better game plan. Do you have suggestions for some guidelines or a sample script? Would it be best to reply, you should reach out to her and ask? I appreciate any assistance you can provide. Best, Jenny. Oh, Jenny, thank you so
2: much for this question. There is so much going on here, and I want to talk about all of it. I feel like there is a lot of classic etiquette in this question, and I don't think it's one that we've addressed on this show before. So, Even though this is a very difficult situation, thank you for sharing it with us because it gives us a chance to talk about some things that are important.
1: Dan, this is a really great question because in a lot of ways – and we talk about this in some of our books – there's this sort of good gossip that happens when neighbors and family and friends – let each other know when someone is going through a hard time, but it's such a delicate gray area. It is—it isn't a hard and fast line of exactly what you can say and exactly what you can't say. And it's why I, I I almost think, Dan, that Jenny answered the question for us <laughs> at the very end when she says you should reach out to her and ask, because I think that is the best pivot point whenever you start to feel uncomfortable about being asked about someone else's life, no matter the topic you know oh boy i know i'm i'm helping her out right now but you should you should reach out and ask or you should reach out and and get the story straight from her just so that you get it you know from the horse's mouth so to speak from from the direct person and i think as, when we read that sentence i was like oh she nailed it she nailed it it's really hard, though, when you're in the spot, isn't it?
2: <laughs> no. And and one of the things that we know can be so helpful when you are on the spot is having a bottom line, having an escape hatch, having that sample script ready mm-hmm. and a, a little direction reminding someone that if they're curious, they can always go to the source, I think is the classic floor for any question about gossip, good or bad. and what your ultimate parameters are. I I, I was sort of proud of myself. I had an idea for another little sample script. Oh,
1: what have you got? What have you got?
2: Could potentially come across less as saying this is some action you should take
1: Mm -hmm. and
2: might bring the focus back on you a little bit you can say something like, you know, I should really check before I say more.
1: Oh, cu- or yes.
2: I should really check before I say. Oh, and-
1: clapping, clapping, audience, clap! This is such a good sample script. You know, I should really check before I say more. I'm not comfortable answering all the questions. I should, I should ask first before I do. I think that is brilliant, cause brilliant. It lets you
2: stop. If you've already started to walk down the path a little bit and you're starting to think that maybe you've gone too far Mm -hmm. or you can use it early on, but it's a a sample script that takes the focus off them, keeps it on you, and also is a reminder that there's things that are private and that you probably shouldn't share unless you're pretty sure that it's okay. I wanted to take a great big reset and I wish we could sample in the sound of a tape deck rewinding really quickly, (laughs) but... I was also thinking about a general practice of when you get information like this, asking if it's okay to share or who it's okay to share with or how much you can share. Because if you've got that in your pocket, then you can be that agent of good that you were talking about at the start of this question. It might be really helpful for out-of-state family to have an ambassador on the street in town who can let the church community know or the neighborhood know or whatever the group is that might be supportive at a difficult time and getting that word out is part of the way we support each other and help each other even when that word isn't good news
1: absolutely i know that in our in our hard times chapter of the 20th edition We make that specific suggestion of when you do find out difficult, hard, or sometimes even interesting and wonderful news, that it is really important to ask, oh, are are we sharing? Am I allowed to share it with other people yet? I, I've certainly on both of your kids I asked I was like are we sure you know you you told me right away but I would have asked you know are we sharing it is it can I tell my family should I be the person telling them or do you all want to be the person telling them and it does make such a big difference it's also such a wonderful moment of being considered when you're the person who receives that question of could I share it with other people you just think oh wow that is so nice that they asked first you know even if the answer is yes of course it's so nice that they asked first because I I think you have just nailed this question. You can't
2: see it, but I'm taking a bow on the other end of this microphone. You should be. You should be. I had a final thought, which was I want to just encourage Jenny or say, don't worry too much about it. Mm -hmm. I I don't think those regrets need to haunt you. Yeah. This is uh, a judgment call decision, and people make them all the time, and I think – you do your best, you think about the nature of the situation, and, and sometimes you make a call. Mm-hmm. You don't know. You haven't asked ahead of time. But you know, this isn't that serious a health issue. It's something that is connected to this other person. The curiosity is, is genuine. It might even mm-hmm. it might even result in them getting left a plate of cookies or something. It's not salacious gossip you're not sharing negative news Mm -hmm. just for the thrill of it Mm -hmm. those are the places that people oftentimes get in real trouble yeah and it doesn't sound like you're in that kind of a situation here so i also just wanted to say these are minor infractions they're important things to think about they can be really serious but don't beat yourself up too much
1: Jenny, big salute to you for being a person a neighbor who can step in and and give both the family and Miss Eleanor comfort during a difficult time and for being the type of thoughtful person who who wonders how much should I how much should I share. Really 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 great great etiquette moments all across the board and we certainly hope that our answer helps.
0: Now the gossip began to spread. Bill Ellis
2: colored it a little more and passed it on. Then Christine Manners took over. Yes, gossip spreads like wildfire, especially with the help of girls like Christine. And by the end of the day, the harm was done. Jean's reputation was ruined. Our next question has a mathematical title. (laughs) COVID plus weddings plus kids equals question mark?
1: (laughs) Solve for X.
2: (laughs) Dear Lizzie and Dan, Before I get to my question, let me first congratulate Lizzie on the new Emily Post Weddings Etiquette book. My copy just arrived yesterday. And second, thank you and your whole team for the podcast. I started listening two years ago when a senior member of my organization recommended the podcast to our staff of about 500 people as we were embarking on a very stressful merger. I feel that you have helped me become more at ease, respectful, and considerate. Not only in my professional life, but in my personal life as well. In short, I feel like you two have helped me become a better person, and I can't say how grateful I am for this gift. Okay, now for my question. I recently became engaged, and my partner and I are now proceeding with the myriad wedding planning tasks and decisions. We are wondering how to approach the age-old question of inviting younger children with a newer twist related to COVID-19 safety and consideration for other guests. I have been distressed about this for weeks because most of my out-of-town adult cousins and many guests have children that range from infants to 18 years. So by not inviting children, we would potentially be putting a considerable burden on those guests who are parents of younger children, since attending the wedding would mean securing childcare for the event and or the whole weekend. I worry that this would not sit well with my cousins and friends who all had children at their weddings. In fact, I was one of those children for some of my older cousins. However, my partner and I are also very concerned about the health and safety of our other older guests who are at a greater risk of serious complications from COVID 19 should they become sick. For some background, we lost my uncle last year to the disease, and a close family member recently fell ill from a breakthrough infection even after being fully vaccinated so I tend to err on the side of caution. The idea that my wedding of 100 guests would become a COVID super spreader event and lead to the illness or worse of a loved one, frankly, terrifies me. Would we be able to say that children under age 12 who are not yet eligible for vaccination may not attend? It may be worth noting that our indoor only venue requires proof of vaccination or a negative COVID-19 test to enter the building. Do you have recommendations for sample language we might include on the wedding invitation or website to convey our preference to keep this as an adult-only ceremony and reception? And any tips on how to communicate the part about the requirement for vaccination or negative test? Again, let me underscore how happy and relieved I feel to have the 2021 wedding etiquette Mm -hmm. book to help guide me through the rest of the wedding process. Kind regards. Fretting, fiance.
1: Fretting, fiance. I hope. I hope we can take the fretting out of out of that closure at the, by the end of this. And I want to thank you for your kind words about the wedding etiquette book. Uh, it, it came out a number of years ago, uh, and it was co-authored with my sister Anna Post. And it, it's, I actually had a very similar feeling recently about that book. I've started rereading it in order to prepare for doing our online wedding program for wedding professionals. And that I, I read the very first section of that book. And I I put it down, called Dan, and I said, Dan, we have such a good book. It was so well done.
2: That was the best call, Lizzie Post. You just called me up, really happy with some work that was out there. And it has been out there for a while. Yeah, yeah.
1: and like, I will put the full credit in my mother and my sister's shoulders. I was tacked on to that book project at the last minute. I was not um, in the trenches, so to speak, on it. So credit, credit where credit is due. But But when I read it, I was just like... Oh my gosh, as we prepare to maybe rewrite this book, I, I can't, I, I like, I'm, I'm thinking, I can't write this any better. This is a great book. So anyway, thank you for enjoying that title and, and letting us talk about it for a second. There are lots of things to consider in your question. And the big overarching one that I, I love reminding couples about is that it's your day and you really do get to set the guest list the way you want and need to. And that's an important thing to remember. We talk in that edition, um, in the wedding etiquette book, the sixth edition, about how it is perfectly okay to set age limits on children. And that means there will be some families who are divided. They have a 13-year-old and they have a 10-year-old. The 13-year-old could come. The 10-year-old couldn't. I was that child. I was kept away from my my aunt's wedding and my sister was a, a flower girl in it. And it's just a reality of sometimes how things are when it comes to weddings. I tend to think that your considerations about making sure you're adhering to the venues requirements is a good idea. Uh, while I understand that that means that under 12, because they cannot be vaccinated, they might be able to just do the COVID tests. I could see for a family who's already experienced a loss that – this is just a little scarier and you might take it a little even. I don't want to say more seriously because I don't want to put down anyone who's also still taking it seriously, but doing this version of it. I would say that just people who are choosing to be extra cautious about it. I think it's fine for you to go the route of no children under 12. I do think Dan, that communication then becomes key. And we talk a lot about The invitation is kind of a... I don't want to call it sacred, but a sacred place where you, you don't put too much direction other than just inviting the people to the event, letting them know that they are welcome to come, that you would be honored by their presence. And I think that that is really important. So I would not put adults only or only over 12 on the invitation. I would be certain that the invitations that go out state very clearly the exact members of the family who are invited. I might even very specific. I might even do something like, like let's say we have a a split household of of children of age groups, I might send an invitation to the parents with their names on it, and then send a second invitation to the children who are coming who who are being invited. And just I know it it sounds harsh. And these things might be things you'd follow up with a phone call to let people know, hey, I know that that we've done a, a dividing line, there is a reason for it. And we're trying to adhere to both our venue and our own sense of safety. We really hope That you will be able to come in any way that you can. And we understand if you're not able to make it due to the restrictions we have to place on our event. And I think that communicating that verbally, especially to anyone who would be particularly sensitive to it is a very thoughtful way to go. I think that putting it on your wedding website, making sure that it gets spread via word of mouth, you know, encourage cousins to talk to each other, encourage aunts and uncles to make it clear with their adult children who's invited and who's not. I think those are, are big, helpful things when you're navigating something that's, that's a little delicate and a, a little complicated.
2: And is important. And it's a very practical consideration. Mm-hmm. So the idea that someone would encounter a section of a wedding website that is about covid considerations or covid planning is something that that people are expecting if not um it's something that people are ready for if not expecting at Mm -hmm. this point
1: i would even cause go so far as to title that section please read i in my head i want it to be must read but we're trying to be polite so i think like a, a please read you know before making your plans where you're spelling out that the venues requiring proof of vaccination or proof of a negative covid test where you're, you know, re-mentioning that due to the situation and people under 12 not being able to be vaccinated, we are making 12 our cutoff. And saying in that moment on the website that you are sad that this leaves out some people, but you had to make a couple tough decisions and this was one of them. I think a lot of people are very understanding at this time that, that this is a, a really tough thing to figure out and coordinate and and make happen. And it's all supposed to be in support of a really wonderful event. I don't want that to get lost either in all of the planning and all the care around making sure that it's a safe wedding. You want people to still feel excited. You still want to feel excited. And I think that the the way that you choose to talk about it and the the way that you choose to communicate with your guests can, can help keep that spirit alive, even as you're delivering kind of uh, tight restrictions. Lizzie Post, do you
2: think there's any room here for this type of information to go on? That insert that we sometimes talk about going with the invitation. I know it's a line. It's not on the invitation. It's with it. Maybe it's a layer to back in the envelope
1: (laughs) i i think that that's actually another really great place to put it again it's not on the invitation itself but it's either on the packet that follows the invitation you know once someone has said they're coming or if you're not doing that type of a packet then it does get included with the invitation but never on the invitation and i think that is a great idea you want to catch people at as many points as you can and always as politely as you can
2: i'll confess for me the trick here got In how much explaining to do. Because in my head, I said to myself, it's totally fine to not have kids at a wedding. You can make that choice. It's a choice a lot of people make. And as I read the question, I started to realize that even though it's a a not uncommon choice, Mm -hmm. that in this situation, our fretting fiance is making it for a different reason. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. We're having a no kids wedding, but it's the COVID thing. And I actually really would love to be there and love to have your kids there. And I remember good times when I was there. And I don't know how much of that you need to get into. Probably I think that not much. You might want to keep the focus on the important information that you're sharing and let those word of mouth conversations be the place where you can get into that fine tuning, where you mm-hmm. share more of your thoughts and feelings about the whole situation.
1: Absolutely fretting fiance we hope we are able to change your status to excited happy jubilant fiance and we truly hope that your wedding is both a wonderful and safe event this year
2: Our next question is titled Jack and Jill Shower with Tickets.
1: Hello, Dan and Lizzie. I have a question about an upcoming Jack and Jill. My past dance teacher is getting married. I'm so excited for her, and she has been through a lot over the years, and he seems simply wonderful. We don't get to see each other often, but we follow each other on social media where we are both active and often comment or like each other's postings. This past week, she posted an invite on her social media page to her 1,200 plus followers, inviting them to their Jack and Jill in a few weeks. Tickets will be sold for this event where there will be food, drink, games and raffles in a local park. I'm not close enough to her to be on the wedding invite list by any means, but I would consider buying a ticket to the Jack and Jill to support and visit with them before the wedding. My question is this, when a Jack and Jill involves buying tickets to the event and most likely buying raffle tickets at the event, is a shower gift still expected? And if so, should it be brought to the event or mailed to their home? Thank you for all your great etiquette advice over the years, and especially during this past year and a half of new challenges to be navigated. Best wishes to you both. Friendly acquaintance.
2: Friendly acquaintance, thank you so much for the question. I- I'm going to bow out now because <laughs> I have no idea what's going on anymore. The world is turned upside down, it's on its head, and it's spinning.
1: Do you need, you need well, some smelling salts? Because I think some other people might too. I thought showers were
2: small. Relatively intimate events for friends and family to shower a guest of honor with gifts. So the Mm -hmm. the gift flow goes that direction. Mm -hmm. And to be invited, you pretty much have to, for for a wedding shower, be invited to the main event also. Mm -hmm. It's – uh, pretty, pretty standard in my etiquette calculations that all of those things fall into line. And, and, and maybe I'm misunderstanding because there's something being called a Jack and Jill, which mm-hmm. in, I'm used to that being a Jack and Jill shower. So a twist on a tradition where both members of the couple being married attend the wedding shower. Mm-hmm. Help me out here. I'm very
1: confused. <laughs> I have to tell you, because the the only way that I know about this particular type of Jack and Jill is because I was knocked over with a feather when a reporter told me that this is actually a, a I don't want to say fair fairly common, but it is a regional practice. And the Jack and Jill is, it's a party that the community, like, it's really funny. The The couple hosts the party, but the community is invited for the purpose of doing things like buying tickets, buying raffles, and basically f- helping to fund the wedding. And it was, I, I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, that's, that's so not, at all. like, it is so not what I'm familiar with as being a polite thing to do. But it turns out that there are some really wonderful communities out there where this has become a tradition. And so much like a sh- much like I feel like a shower of the old days where you might not have been invited to the wedding, but all the people in the bride's town would get together to make sure she had enough things for her trousseau or her dowry or whatever. The legends of how showers became, there's a couple different stories of them, but it reminds me a bit of that, where those people probably weren't people who ended up at the actual service and and ceremony and reception afterwards, but they wanted to see this person celebrated well at this point. And so, If this is something your community does, participate and and feel confident participating. This does not need to be labeled weird, different, tacky, grab-for-gifts, any of the above. If this is how your community celebrates a couple that they really want to send off well – it, it often happens this way. I am going to use this moment too, cuz to say, if you are a part of a community that does this, will you please write into us and give us as many details about how these go down and where the good etiquette and where the bad etiquette would be. We're being asked by friendly acquaintance, do I bring a gift? And I'm just going to say, you can always bring a gift to a celebration. <laughs> whether it gets opened, whether or not everyone else is bringing gifts is a different matter. If no one else is bringing a gift, you might give your gift a little more quiet on the side, um, but you can always give someone a gift. It's never going to be, I think, a bad thing to give a gift. <laughs> I'm sure we could find some situation, but it's—I it, don't think this is it. And that being said, I love the fact that this is something that you could participate in to support this person that you've cared about and you still keep in, in touch with, as you say, as a friendly acquaintance over time.
2: Lizzie, thank you for explaining that, and also thank you for going back to core principles. I, I appreciate the broad thinking about where a shower comes from the purpose that it serves and you making that connection to the idea of community support for people who are going through important transitional times yeah. and i i'm i'm seeing much more clearly that shower connection even though the, the the form is quite different and could be confusing and i think for me that's where the etiquette would start to pop up start mm-hmm. to bubble up it, where the streams might get crossed That moment that I had, that moment that you said you had when you first got exposed to this type of thing.
1: Well, and I had the same moment you do where I'm used to a a Jack and Jill being a a type of shower you do. And obviously, in this case, Jack and Jill for a hetero couple, it would be that you're, you know, both the men and the women are invited and everybody is going to be at the shower. You and Pooj, for instance, also. well, wait for your wedding. Did you guys have a Jack and Jill shower? No, we, we did. It was so much fun. You did? No, 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 because, no you're right. It was for the was baby Jack and, and baby. It's not really called a Jack and Jill shower, but the phrase Jack and Jill, I had only ever associated with weddings in that particular context to mean that men and women would both be at the party. And I think m- most showers nowadays are all gender inclusive. And it's just kind of the style that the particular person being honored, whether it's a baby shower or whether it's a wedding shower, wants to experience. I had a ton of fun at the, it was it was an all-girls shower for Pooja. It was an absolute blast. And we also had a, a really great time at Anna's all-girls shower. And so there have been some, some fun ones like that, but I, I'm a fan of opening it up to everybody. But that is not what this party is. The Jack and Jill, in this case, refers specifically to this big community event where You just as it's written here, you buy raffle tickets, you buy tickets to the event, and it all goes towards helping the couple. But yeah, I I still just want to put the call out here to anyone who experiences this particular type of Jack and Jill and to, to help us learn the etiquette around it.
2: Friendly acquaintance, your final question was about delivery of the gift. And I would say think practically about it. Mm-hmm. Bring it with you. Look for a good opportunity. But if there's not a, a, an obvious place to receive it or a chance to connect with the couple, I think sending it directly is a way to be sure that it gets to them.
1: Absolutely. Friendly acquaintance, we hope this event is awesome and that you have a lot of fun at it. And thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to explore this particular type of Jack and Jill.
2: Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show.
1: If you love Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. Every time we see a new sustaining member or someone up their membership from like a $1 to a $5, Dan and I do happy dances. We skip around. We get so excited. So we just want to say thank you so much for bringing that into our lives.
2: It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we have feedback from Shannon.
1: Hey Dan and Lizzie, just wanted to send a quick note with some feedback on episode 362, Last Name Nuisance. I am so glad this question was asked on the show. I, like your question asker, also decided to keep my given name instead of taking my husband's family name. One idea we had to communicate this to everyone at our wedding was to have our DJ announce us as we'd like to be addressed when we rejoined our guest at the reception. When it came time for us to enter the hall, the DJ simply announced, now, for the first time as a married couple, the newlyweds, his full name and my full name. Or perhaps your officiant could also do this following the ceremony. It won't cover everyone, of course, but we thought it was a great way to make it known. Also, just a word to a fellow bride. You will get asked the question plenty of times, so I wouldn't feel the need to correct someone directly unless someone has made the mistake multiple times. They will get it eventually through word of mouth, from family members or friends. They will notice when you don't change your name on Facebook or when you send out greeting cards and thank you notes. It's still a very normal assumption to make for heterosexual couples, but... I think the one thing we can do to change the norm is actually to make a point of asking other women how they want to be addressed. I very much appreciate being asked in this way. How would you like us to address you when you are married? As opposed to, so will you be taking Johnny's last name? The difference in tone here made me feel like my choice was honored and respected. P.S. I also love the idea of putting it on your wedding website. Great solution. All the best, Shannon. Shannon, thank you so much for that feedback. We couldn't agree more, and it is so great to hear from someone who is a living example of it. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please, please keep them coming. You can send us your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-858. K I N D. That's 802 858 5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today, we're going to continue Dan's interview with etiquette author and NASA scientist Donald James. His new book, Manners Will Take You Where Brains and Money Won't, is excellent. And if you haven't already listened to episode 365 with the first half of the interview, we highly recommend going back and giving a listen. Dan, take us away. There's another
2: concept in this book that I really loved that I was hoping you would maybe talk about a little bit with us. And while I connected with the the pink suits concept in a very personal way, um, when you talked about three me's, I found myself both connecting to it in a personal way but also being really interested as someone who has written about etiquette and does a lot of thinking about human relationships and using human relationships as a measure for identifying good behaviors or as a way to decide what's the right thing to do or what you want to do in a given situation. And it can get really complicated when you're thinking about yourself through the lens of others. Could you help us out with that? Could you help me out with that and talk a little bit about the three me's?
0: I have to confess, I'm like, oh, I hope he doesn't ask about the three me's because I tell you, I have to reread that because it's really a challenging thing even for me to follow. But let me try. This came out of a NASA training. You know, I'm a training junkie, as I wrote about in the book. I took every training known to mankind, both inside and outside of NASA. And this was a, a training class. And The invitation was, with respect to understanding the three different me's that kind of live in your world, was what is it that um, you think other people think about you, essentially? And so you write down all these characteristics and qualities. And then uh, you had to write down your opinions about other people. So you actually got to collect. And it was all anonymous. You didn't know who wrote what. But you got to see what other people said about you and what's interesting is that when you compare what you thought other people thought about you versus what they actually thought about you often it was different it wasn't it wasn't really aligned and so what did that tell me so first of all it told me that the narrative in my head about gee I wonder what you know Dan thinks about me I wonder what Emily thinks. you know what What it is is really what I think about myself and so so the trick is to really realize that you are assigning a narrative about yourself that may not be accurate. And I feel that the importance of getting that is to liberate yourself from this notion of what other people think about you. Like, you know, you know, in the book, I wrote about, you know, mama's rules, right? And one of her rules was what other people think about you is none of your business. And most people, when they talk about mama's rules to me, they mention that one as the one that lands the most impactfully to them, that they that, that one really sticks. Because we are often paralyzed in our consideration about what other people think. And so the exercise is designed to point out that oftentimes you don't really have it right. And more importantly, why does it even matter? You know, why, why does it even matter? So this, I feel this is the pathway to authenticity where you can feel much more comfortable in your own skin with who you are because you're not, overly sensitive about what other people are going to think. Now, the challenge is that if you're in a professional environment, that's not an excuse to be ignorant of your manner in a professional environment because you think, well, since I don't care what they think, I'm just going to wear torn jeans and a tie-dye shirt to the formal dinner because I just feel more comfortable in that. That may be okay as long as you are also aware that people are going to to think about what you're wearing and it may create a narrative in their head that could impact you later on so it's kind of a that this is why this is difficult because it's subtle it and it's and it's a gray area but it can be very freeing because when you're with somebody who you know feels very authentic and very genuine and very comfortable on their skin that can be very attractive i mean it's you kinda of like that, even if you don't particularly care for who they are. You say, well, he's his own man or he's his own woman. That's what it is. So, you know, it's 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 just recognizing what your mind is doing to you, I suppose. You know, your mind, you know, thinks you're a certain way and your mind thinks other people think a certain way, and then it turns out there it may not really be true. So I like I said, I literally go back and I reread that section to see if I can come up with a better way of articulating not only what that is, but why it's important. So I challenge your readers and your listeners to go to that section and then maybe they can email me and tell me better what it means and how it affects them.
2: <laughs> oh, do not sell yourself short. You did a really good job with it. The The question of our perception and the limits of it and Right. The unfortunate reality that we need to manage ourselves based on those yeah. limited perceptions is is something that great philosophers have spent many, many gallons of ink right. trying to describe, talk about, explain and figure out. Yes. It's it's really not easy and I think that you did a really good job of keeping the focus appropriate for an etiquette book which is on the implications. Right for the way we manage our own behavior yeah, and very specifically the implications that our assumptions about what other people are thinking may or may not be true. And that while it's the best information that we have to go with, it's really up to us to use it in the best way that we can to moderate our own behavior.
0: I will add that one of the benefits of understanding that you know, what other people's narratives are about you may not be what you think they are, is that in certain situations, it could be catastrophic. So let me just give you an example. Your listeners don't know this, but I'm African American, 64 years old. And as many of your listeners know, there's been a thing in our culture, in our society, about what happens when black people are pulled over by Police officers, particularly who are Caucasian. So let's say that I'm pulled over and I've got this narrative in my head that, oh, my God, this is a white cop and he thinks that I'm this kind of a person or that kind of a person. So I may construct this whole narrative about what the cop thinks about me, even though he doesn't know me, right? We never met before but I'm thinking that he's analyzing a situation. This is a black man and here's his car and this is what he was doing and whatever it is. So if I'm so sure about what he thinks about me, even though he doesn't know me, it might cause me to behave in a way that may not go well. And so it's important to really understand the dynamic that's actually happening because It's just like when I'm walking down the street and I write about this in the book and I may come across a woman who then takes a glance at me and clutches her purse because, you know, she might be afraid that I'm going to steal her purse or whatever it is. I mean, I know that if the person knew who I was, you know, she might ask me out and say, let's go to dinner. You're a cool guy. But she doesn't know that. She just makes up information based on what little data that she has and it causes her behavior to reflect that. So I I think the importance of getting this right is to understand how this can play out because how you respond is a manners matter. It's your manner. Your manner is going to reveal the truth about what you're thinking and doing and that could cause you to have a bad day. It's why black parents have the so-called talk with their children, especially their sons. The talk is, this is how you keep yourself from getting killed when you encounter a policeman or somebody else who may not look at you as an individual, but look at you as a black person. And that's what the talk is about. And if you ask any black man who has a son or a daughter and said Do you know what this thing is about the talk they'll say oh yeah you know it's just not something that's talked about a lot but um it's true
2: and it's complicated and about the only thing that i can imagine that's more difficult than trying to wrap your head around it is the idea of trying to explain it to a young person and yeah that is another place where i yeah. think that your writing is just so successful there is a quality throughout this book of parental wisdom being passed on and i know for you it's very direct this book references your mother and all that she taught you and that information is then presented through the lens of your life experience applying those lessons and I just think that you've done a, a really nice job of communicating that, that transference of wisdom, right. but doing it into a context that, that is uh, sort of definitional or, or, or a, a metaphor for so many people for the future. It really does feel like in so many ways that your mother is really the, the heart of this book or is really at the heart of this book.
0: I truly believe that. I, I truly believe that. That was true. I, it's, it, it saved me and helped me. And so when I reflected on my career and, you know, when I was asked a question by the young man in the talk that I write about who said, you know, well, how would you advise yourself if you were my age and knowing what you know now? That's why I talked about the importance of manners. I said, I think... That made the biggest difference in the world. Now, that's not an excuse not to be good at what you're doing. As I say in the book, you know, you have to know how to fly the plane, right? American Airlines didn't hire my brother to be a pilot because he had good manners, right? He, they hired him because he knew how to fly a plane. Exactly. But as my brother would say, having great manners can be the tiebreaker. And he knows Clearly pilots who applied for jobs who didn't get it because of how they showed up in the interview. So you, you can't just, you know, rely on your good manners to, to, to do certain jobs and have certain skills. But, but as I say also, being smart isn't good enough. Right? Everybody in NASA is smart, right? You know, I I kind of snuck in, I, I got lucky. But you go, go around NASA, everybody is smart. You know, they got advanced degrees, they've got a lot of experience, but being smart's not good enough. So, speaking of smarts and smarts not being enough
2: in life, you use a really interesting example of
0: yes. uh, students yes.
2: deciding what kind of classes to take, whether or not to take AP college level credit classes in high school.
0: Absolutely. As a
2: way to examine questions about honesty and authenticity. And right. it was kind of surprising advice for me to hear from someone talking about parental guidance and the significant lessons one can get from parental guidance. And I think superficially it was surprising advice, but fundamentally it was really good advice because it addresses something that, that Lizzie and I – both think is so important in fact fundamentally important to good etiquette which is honesty
0: i appreciate this part because i feel that if people can understand this and and then look at their own behaviors and manners Accordingly, that it's going to make a huge difference. You know, the reason I I raise the the connection with AP is an advanced placement. I I have nothing against advanced placement classes. I you know in and of itself, but what I have come to appreciate from talking to many students and and parents, particularly in in, in my previous capacity at NASA, which was running NASA's education program, is that they were often desired as a way to get something else. You know, they were trying to, you know, spice up their, you know, academic resume because, you know, it was going to look good for the admissions officers in colleges and things like that. And so, you know, I've been troubled by that because I felt that although I appreciate, you know, efforts that people take to get into colleges they want, I didn't feel that a lot of it was done authentically meaning that the person genuinely was interested in the topic and wanted to learn it that's why I wrote about well what happens if you know your classes didn't have AP or honors it was just you know chemistry 101 202 and all that stuff versus an option to take an honors chemistry you know which would you choose right and so if you choose the honors one and your reason is well because that's going to look better then it feels a little bit like pretending, and feels a little bit like inauthentic. Uh, not because you're generally interested in it, and we know what has happened with the extent to which students and parents will go to to quote game the system. And we and I talked about this where we saw in the news about you know the parents who you know, were arrested because somehow they manipulated the system to get in schools and things like that. And so, you know, I just wanted to raise the question. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're in the the middle of of a crisis and you have to get medical care, I mean, do you really want your doctor to have gotten to where he or she is because they figured out how to game the system to get there. And it turns out that they really didn't fully grasp the topic and the subject at hand because they genuinely loved it and now they're really good at what they do. So, you know, it it causes a question about that. So, um, and I'm sure there's checks and balances to prevent that. I'm not saying that, you know, there are a lot of doctors that do that, but it's a concern that I have. And so I would like... The pursuit of any study, any element that you're interested in to be based on a genuine interest in in the topic. I'll give you a very deeply personal example. We talked about at the outset when you asked me about, you know, my title. You know, uh, I do not have a PhD. Um, I had an opportunity to get one based on the fellowship that I had received, and I chose to start working instead. And I said, well, I'll go get one later if I wanted to. And then later in life when I started feeling like I was regretting not getting a PhD because many of my colleagues had doctorates and and I thought, you know, I should just go do this. But I realized that I would be doing it for the wrong reasons. I didn't have a genuine topic of interest that I wanted to pursue that I was thinking about getting a doctorate just to be able to say that I got a doctorate, just to be able to say I put that in my title. And so that would be an example of doing something that was not authentic because I was trying to look important, you know, because I did that. As contrasted with, you know, writing the manners book, Many people, I'm sure, write books because they just like the idea of being an author and all of that. I know that I wrote this because after I answered that young man's question about how would I advise myself I can go back in time, knowing what I know now, that this book is the longer answer to that question. My mission in life, my passion are students and their transformative development forward. I, and I, I live that. I have a lot of young mentees. Um, I, you know, I, my own children have probably are sick of me, you know, uh, all, all the things that I talk about and do, but they're, they're really good. So I, this is really what's important to me. So, This book was emanated from my authentic desire to share what I think I've learned, even if I may be wrong, you know, this is not a work of scholarship, or even if people disagree or they have different points of view, it is who I am and what I believe in. So that's a distinction for me personally about considering something to do getting a doctorate that would be inauthentic because I was just trying to check a box versus something that I'm genuinely interested in. So I know that when I'm around people that I feel are authentically who they are, that they're not pretending to be someone else, they're not putting on an act, right? You know, they're... I, I've interviewed a lot of people and I feel like many times people come into the interview and they have this act called I'm going to be a great interviewer act. And I and I appreciate that they do all the little things that, you know, we learned in interviewing one on one and all of that. But I often wonder whether or not when they leave the interview room, are they the same person? Like, are they, is that who I'm going to see when we hire them and they're at work every day? Um, and so that's what I'm yearning for is that sense of authenticity and presence. The presence part of that, which I really learned a lot from Amy Cuddy, who is from the Harvard Business School and her work in this, is that they're with me. They're, they're just, they're present. They're, they're, they're connected. Um, you know, I, the only way I can explain this is that I, I tell people that, you know, when I talk on the phone with people, I don't do anything else. I sit down and I talk to people on the phone, whereas my spouse, she can do three or four other things. You know, she's got her AirPods on. She's working in the kitchen. She's reading a text. And, you know, the conversation may be good and may be affectionate and all that stuff. I can't do that because I feel so committed To being present for the conversation and the person that I have to sit down and and block everything else out. So when I'm with somebody who I feel is present with me, even in conversations, you know, their eyes and their body language all says to me for this time and this moment. I am with you and you're what matters to me just gives me a profound sense of connection to that person. And so that's why I wrote the chapter in that is to invite people to look at how they can have a profound sense of connection with other people as not only a gift to them, but as a gift to yourself.
2: I don't think I could do or say anything to wrap up our time together any better than that your passion for this material and your the depth of your understanding really come through both in your writing and in talking to you thank you so much for writing this book and for spending a little bit of time with us today i hope that we can rope you into coming back sometime and maybe answering some listener questions with
0: lizzie and i thank you anytime i would love to this is uh I believe this is important work for, you know, our planet and for people. And um, this is, uh, I'll dare say it like this. I think the work that that we're doing collectively really is the secret sauce for the, uh, you know, the improvement of the human condition. I I honestly believe that. Um, And I think it starts with our manners. And um, you guys have done incredible work in this area and um i hope to just be another voice you know in this very important process you know this is um this this is the technology that um we need um i believe that
1: dan thank you so much for doing this interview with donald james i am certain that we will be hearing more from him in the future on this show We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Christy.
2: I would like to give an etiquette salute to our new Uncle Joe, the AAA man who came to our rescue last weekend when we dropped our son off for his first year of college. Because he was moving so far away, we took his car to campus. But because the car is a bit older and was originally purchased just to go to and from high school and sporting events, my husband, brother-in-law, and son hauled it there on a trailer. It worked perfectly when our son drove it onto the trailer before we left Arizona, but as luck (laughs) would have it, it wasn't working when we arrived at our destination, a lovely but tiny town in Iowa. None of the local auto shops were able to help that weekend. AAA sent someone to our hotel and warned us there may be nothing their local person, Joe, could do but help us tow the car to a shop. Well, they apparently don't know Joe. <laughs> Not only did Joe climb his way into the car, Bo style, the door couldn't open while on the trailer. He stayed with us all day through multiple starts and fails, troubleshooting, pushing the car up a small hill to pop the clutch tremendous ups and then disappointing downs as things we thought had worked failed again it was hot it was muggy and for part of the day we were in a retail auto parts parking lot he let my husband and brother-in-law borrow his valuable tools while he ran to another appointment and he checked in with ideas frequently his cheerfulness kept us from losing hope as our time to leave our son behind was rapidly approaching Joe was more than kind to us. He treated our son's problem like it was his son's problem. He treated us like family. I am so grateful. And though we did not ultimately get the car running that day, we were able to diagnose the actual problem and get a referral to a reliable shop that can do the work soon. More than that, our new Uncle Joe gave us peace of mind, knowing we were leaving our son half a country away, but in very good hands. Thank you for all that you do. I love listening and learning through your books and the Awesome Etiquette Podcast. Christy,
1: Christy, thank you so much for that salute. Please raise your hand if you have ever met a Joe in your life who has helped you just so well during a crisis. I feel like I've met this person before. And they are just they are the savior to the world around them in that moment. They really, really are. And it's so awesome when you when you cross paths with someone like this particular Joe, Christy, thank you so much for that salute. Christy, thank you so much. I just have to also yeah, yeah. add,
2: we oftentimes hear Lizzie Post tear up during the I, salute. I
1: was. I was trying not to. <laughs> uh,
2: th- th- this one got me. Doesn't it? Because I mean, like, J- Joe's great, but the connection of Joe to it making you feel good about the community that you're like launching your children into, <laughs> I am. Um, the little parent in me just had this moment of thinking about letting go of my kids and (laughs) feeling like that was okay because the world was going to take care of them thank you christy
1: and thank you all for listening
2: and thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon.
1: Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers. however you like to share podcasts. You can send us your next question, feedback, or salute by
2: email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at EmilyPostInst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute.
1: Please consider becoming a sustaining member, if only so that Dan and I can do more happy dances. You can do this by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also really help out the show by subscribing to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please do consider leaving us a review because it helps our show ranking which helps more people find Awesome Etiquette.
2: Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd.
1: Thanks, Chris and Bridget.
2: Thanks, Chris and Bridget.